If you're listening from Spotify, SoundCloud, or elsewhere, this is the Pro Shop Podcast. My name is Alex Fordal, and I'm joined alongside Thomas Zuberis. And today we have a very special guest with us here to talk a bit about his career, the Canadian Hockey League, and the upcoming NHL draft. We are going to talk with broadcaster, journalist, and hockey analyst from Sportsnet, Sam Cosentino. Sam, how are you doing today? Yeah, doing great. Thanks for having me on, guys. Looking forward to talking a little hockey. Absolutely. Again, thank you so much for your time. Uh, well, with that, let's dive right in. So, uh, for those who don't know a bit about your career, uh, talk to us about how you got involved in sports broadcasting and just a bit about your story. Yeah, I was a young guy. I worked for the Toronto Blue Jays, and I kind of morphed that into working at The Fan, which is a local station in, in Toronto that still exists and is the, the top sports station in the country. And, you know, I blended the two of those things and some really important people there. Uh, John Melville and, and Vicky McKee helped, helped to get, uh, get me going into my broadcast career. But I also was working with the Blue Jays. So I kind of did both things in, in 1999. I, I worked for the score. Uh, you know, John Melville hired me there as well after working with him five years earlier in 94. And then uh, uh, I'd worked for the Blue Jays all spring training and all home games. And, and John and the crew over at the score were nice enough to, to work with me around my schedule that when we were back in Toronto after spring training, I'd be able to go on and, and voice highlights and, and work as an analyst on, on some baseball stuff. So it kind of started there for me. Um, and if you, if you dive back a little further than that, even, you know, in, in the mid to late 90s, I also did a lot of volunteer work with Rogers Local TV on OHL broadcasts in, in Barrie. Um, in uh, in Mississauga and in Brampton as well. So really lucky to, to be given some neat opportunities and, and tried to take advantage of them. And, and here I am today in 2020 still still doing the gig. So it's worked out well so far for sure. All right, Sam, um, let me ask you, what made you want to cover the CHL in particular? Well, Thomas, I wasn't really exposed to it as a young player. I mean, growing, uh, you know, as a young player, a young person growing up in Mississauga, we didn't have a team when I was a kid and I wasn't really familiar with what junior hockey was all about. Uh, but uh, in, in getting my broadcasting degree, um, you know, I knew it was something that would be a good way to get my foot in the door. Um, I'd worked in baseball my whole life and my dream was to kind of work in baseball and I got to live that a little bit. Uh, but as it turns out, your your career path is rarely as as you uh, see it going, and so I kind of um, uh, switched over and transitioned over into hockey full time um, in the two thousand five two thousand and six season, um, and and it kind of worked out from there. So I was still doing some Blue Jay stuff, but my most of my focus was on on the CHL, and then in two thousand and ten. I ended up calling some games on TV. Um, that was the same year Buck Martinez was hired, and he still had some other responsibilities with uh, some U.S. national networks. So when he'd go to take off and do those games, I, I did the play-by-play for the Blue Jays in 2010. And then after that season is when baseball uh, ended for me, at least for a short amount of time on TV. And um, I ended up focusing on the CHL full-time. Uh, and then in 2012, uh, Baseball Central was a show that, that I started hosting along with Dirk Hayhurst. We did that in 2012 and 2013. And then after 2013, I hadn't, I hadn't done baseball anymore. So it was a, a little while of doing both, 05, 06. Is, you know, I got hired to do the CHL, but then baseball became part of it. That extended all the way to 2010. The TV stuff in baseball ended for me in 2010. Uh, Thomas and then picked up a little bit with the radio in 2012 and 2013 and then after 2013 no more baseball all CHL and you know as Rogers ended up getting the rights um, you know in 2015 that's when I kind of hunkered down on the draft and 
I, I was kind of a logical choice for that because I was the guy I was getting to see most of the players. Uh, and then it's uh, really just turned into a job that I think is, is a little bit specialized in, in being in the CHL and, and, and doing the NHL draft. But, you know, now that, that I've been in the CHL for, for 15 years now, it's something that I love and I hope I get to do it until I get to call the shot otherwise. That's absolutely great to hear. Um, it's a very interesting story uh, you were telling us, starting from baseball and then, and then going to hockey now. Um, that's, that's actually really, really interesting to hear about. Um, staying on the topic of the CHL, uh, to you, how important is it to provide coverage for the CHL and other junior professional hockey leagues? How important is it to you to, to shine a spotlight on these kids? Yeah, well, I mean, it's not so much that they're pros. So, I mean, I think we meet, need to make that distinction. And, and the recent lawsuit that was settled will will tell you that these are, you know, they're student athletes. But, you know, in terms of the grand scheme of hockey and where it is, when you look at the National Hockey League, um, I think it's super important because from a National Hockey League perspective, you want your players to come into the league with the confidence, hitting the ground running, not being um, dazzled by interviews, not being dazzled by by the media and really uh, wanting those players to focus on their job at hand and that's to, to be on ice. So if you can take away uh, the stresses of the things that are away from the actual on ice performance, I think you can really help a player transition. So that's the, that's the first thing. Uh, the other thing is when you look at the national hockey league, you know, when, when star players come into the league and oftentimes they come into the league via the CHL, you want that, player to to have some recognition coming into the league. I mean, I don't think Connor McDavid would have garnered the attention that he did without us showing him uh, multiple times during his time in Erie. And I'd say the same thing about Patrick Kane going back to when he played in London, Nathan McKinnon when he played in Halifax. So you have all of these players who people would have heard about, maybe read about, but getting that additional exposure through Sportsnet and through the CHL on Sportsnet, I really think helped all of those guys to, to make people realize that, hey, these guys are really good players and they're soon to be stars in their league. And as it stands, uh, all of them are stars. Um, you know, you look at Dylan Strom and Alex De rank it to Matthew Highmore is a guy who come out of nowhere. Um, you know, there's all kinds of guys playing in the, in the playoffs right now, whether it's a, you know, a Max Domi, a Brendan Gallagher in his time with the, the Vancouver Giants way back when you can, I, I think there was a stat put out by the Canadian hockey league that at the start of the 2014 play in round 49% of the players on the expanded rosters were, were graduates of the CHL. So that's kind of a cool thing. And a lot of those people, uh, that we're watching would have been very familiar with with those players from having watched the CHL and Sportsnet. Um, Sam, let me ask you, obviously you have called numerous games throughout the years, but do you have a favorite one in particular, or like a favorite memory from calling a game in the CHL? Yeah, I think like the, the 2006 Memorial Cup was my first and I knew – you know, getting into it, just how, you know, it was a big event, but uh, not until we kind of showed up in Moncton that year at the old Coliseum, just how big an, of an event it was. And, you know, the first coaches conference, I remember it quite clearly. You had Patrick Waugh, obviously a legend with the Quebec Ramparts. You had Dick Todd, the legendary coach with the Peterborough Peets. Uh, you had Ted Nolan, uh, of course, with his time at Sault Ste. Marie, having won Memorial Cups previously in, in 92 and um, 93. Uh, he was coaching in the Moncton Wildcats uh, and then you had Don Hay who in his own right through Kamloops had written quite a history book in the Western Hockey League and I sat there and I said wow man these these guys are all legendary coaches either Stanley Cup or Memorial Cup wins not just once but on multiple occasions so uh, it to me at that point it really clicked 
clicked in that this was something that was really important. It was a big part of hockey, not just, um, you know, in Canada, uh, but uh, as, as a way to, you know, to bring uh, some recognition to veterans who had fought for the freedom of our country, but also for those European players who, um, you know, really got an opportunity to, to be able to come across the pond, put in all their hard work, and, and then play for, for a national championship. Um, you know, Radulov being one of those guys, he was absolutely brilliant in that 2006 tournament, um, you know, when the Quebec Ramparts won. So I think for me, that was a, that was a time for me where I said, wow, I, I've made it. Like, this is a really, really cool thing. We had done – I'd done some games in 03, 04. 04, 05 was a lockout year, so I didn't work any games. So I really – that, that really sucked for me, but I understood why it happened. And then 05, 06, I signed full-time to do the CHL. And, of course, 06 was my, was my first Memorial Cup. So that one was really special. Uh, I worked with my great buddy, Pete Labardius, on that. We, he really kind of guided me and mentored me into what it was like to put in the work to, to be able to, to tell the stories of our, of our kids um, across the CHL. So that one for me is, is what really sticks up because it was almost like, Hey, I, I'd made it. I've transitioned officially from baseball here into, uh, into the CHL. Absolutely. That must've been a very, uh, electric, a very electric building, especially, especially for the, uh, the hometown fans. That must've been absolutely incredible. Um, yeah, it was really cool. Alex, you know, the old Moncton Coliseum, they play in the Avenir center now and it was super duper hot. I mean, I remember sweating bullets. You'd have to take your suit jacket off and roll up your sleeves. And we were still sweating bullets. The, just the amount of people and, and, you know, with it being a little bit of an older, um, an older arena that, you know, the air conditioning and that wasn't quite, wasn't quite up to snuff so the building was super super hot we had an unbelievable broadcast location although it was set back a little bit it was high enough that you could really get an opportunity to see plays uh, happen um and we kind of had our own booth there so it was like our private little you know our private little suite to be able to call the game in, and that was that was really fun but the building no doubt was electric because what had happened that year is, is Moncton ended up winning the Quebec League title against Quebec and Ted Nolan and Patrick Raw really got a, a hate on for one another. The two teams really got a hate on for one another. And then, of course, those two uh, uh, met in the in the uh, Memorial Cup final, and it was Quebec coming out on top of Moncton. So it was kind of cool because Moncton was able to get its league title, yet Quebec was able to exact a little revenge and, and win the big national title. Absolutely, that's. I'm I'm just trying to picture it in my head. I'm just just standing in a far booth, calling 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 that that type of game has had to be an absolutely incredible feeling um yeah it was, it was fun for sure that's absolutely great to hear um now the now the pro shop podcast is primarily a podcast that focuses on the mississauga steelheads of the ontario hockey league and okay. uh and myself as a mississauga steelhead fan i would absolutely regret not asking you a question about them so what is your opinion on the mississauga steelheads when it comes to their franchise and and the and the current scene they have yeah, well, I think, you know, Elliot Kerr, the owner there, has been based in Mississauga for a long time. So I think he's a guy who who understands the marketplace, the challenges that come along with that marketplace and, uh, you know, what it means to put a good team on the ice. But, you know, since he's taken over ownership-wise, you look at the players that have come through there, whether it's an Alex Nylander or Michael McLeod and Nathan Bastian, um, you know, guys that are, have gone on to the NHL. Thomas Harley, of course, this year. I think Kean Washkrook's a guy who won't be – 
far behind. Uh, and you look at Ryan McLeod, who, who's been getting rave reviews uh, in, in Edmonton system. So he's done a really good job attracting um, top-notch players. And I think that's necessary because in a market that's so close to Toronto, where everyone's talking about the Maple Leafs and the Raptors, and you're competing essentially against the, the time, taken to watch a game between those two teams it becomes an even more difficult challenge the diversity of the of the city um the fact that you can there's only really one one way to get in and out of the rink and you can drive by it 10 times on the highway and still not find your way into it unless you kind of know where you're going you know there's a lot of challenges presented to Elliot and the group there but he made a brilliant hire in, in, in James Richmond who was uh had a ton of success in the Ontario Junior Hockey League, a guy who had had a ton of success working with the LA Kings. Jeff Krasakos, uh, the assistant coach there, is, is a brilliant young mind in the game. And I think he's going to you know, soar to, to amazing heights um, in the coaching world because of his passion for the game, because of the work he puts into it. So, you know, looking at those two guys, uh, I think we're also really key hires um, you know, for uh, Elliot Kerr once once he was able to kind of get full control of the team and, and James Boyd had moved on, um, you know, to the Ottawa 67. So I, I think, um, you know, it's a franchise that's still challenged to get the fans that everyone think they should have. Now, I grew up in Mississauga. I don't live there anymore. And I'd like to see the building full every night because it's such a beautiful building. Um, but it just hasn't been that way so far. So I think the Steelheads have done a good job, uh, you know, a little bit of a dip after some of those guys have graduated. Really cool to watch Harley go. Now it's kind of Washkirk's, uh, you know, job and, and mantra to move it forward with Del Mastro and some other really good young players. So I, I like where they are. I like the fact that they continuously remain a, a contender in the Eastern Conference in the Ontario Hockey League. And I think there's a lot of good things ahead for the franchise. All right, Sam, uh, obviously we know you're covering the 2020 NHL draft, but I have a question for you. Do you believe that there's a prospect in particular, whether it's in the CHL or somewhere in Europe, that people are kind of looking past, like sleeping on? You know, it ends up happening every every year that that, you know, that that one player that um, – seems to elude scouts early in the round early in the in the draft ends up coming back to being a really good player i mean the guy i think about right now is alex to you know how he's a second mm-hmm. round player he's essentially put up first first round numbers uh, with the chicago blackhawks um so he's a guy that that you think about when you're thinking about that player who's maybe overlooked or or underrated however you want to however you want to describe it so when i'm looking at what's going on this year i think about a couple of guys in that regard i think from a goaltending perspective nico dawes of course he got a lot of hype being on canada's world junior team this year but because that didn't go so well for him i think the general public's perception is that maybe he's a guy that's uh, that slipped in that regard you know, having gone through the draft process, he, he's a guy that knows how hard it is to, to be recognized and to, and to be picked by an NHL team. So I think there's a little bit of him being overlooked there, and I think he's going to be a real successful player here, um, you know, moving forward as long as he continues on the, on the path that allowed him to lose all the weight and become a star player uh, in the Ontario Hockey League this past season. So he's definitely a guy that, I, that I'd be looking at um, as being maybe one of those uh, overlooked slash underrated players when i think about um the western hockey league i think about a guy uh by the name of uh, ridley greg who uh even myself has given him some first round consideration but an old school type of guy who um i think plays the game hard he's got nhl bloodlines with his dad uh, having played in the league and now scouting for the philadelphia flyers um that's always a coveted asset so I look at him as being another one of those players that had a huge rise throughout the course of the year. 
Um, but in terms of maybe finding that fourth or, or fifth round pick, the, the one other guy that comes to mind out of the Quebec League is Igor Sokolov, who's uh, been through the draft a couple of times. He's been to two different camps now with NHL teams. Um, you know, he's a guy who continuously has, has scored at a top rate in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League with Cape Breton. He improved on his skating this year, big body, puck protector type guy. So I think he might end up being a steal for someone probably in the, in the late second into the, into the early fourth round. Yeah, I've seen him play multiple times. I just don't know why teams have passed off on him for a couple of years now. He's clearly going the professional route. Maybe he'll one day play in the NHL or somewhere in Europe, but I think he has a bright future. Yeah, I, I would have to agree. Absolutely. Now, continuing on with our uh, NHL draft talk here, um, on August 11th, you released your top 15 mock draft uh, shortly after the phase two NHL draft, where we found out that the New York Rangers will be getting the first overall selection and they will most likely select Alexi Lafreniere. Um, we just wanted to talk a bit about um, three, three, uh, three specific players in your uh, mock draft, if, if that's okay. So, okay. um, so, uh, so yeah, so first overall, you have Alexi Lafreniere going first, the consensus first overall pick. And then you have going to the LA Kings, which, uh, which, some, might, which some might agree, some may not agree, as, as, the, as the number two slot is very competitive when it comes to these two players. Uh, you have Tim Stutzel, a centerman left wing combo from the DEL going second. Um, taught a... Uh, Talk to me about your argument for him going second overall. Has a lot of a lot of people really like Quinton Byfield? Yeah, I, I think uh, Tim is a real polished player. I think he's a real, uh, really a driven player. Um, I think when it comes to matching the the skill and the will, he's the perfect marriage of both. I think when you can play as a young player, um, you know, in basically your 17 slash 18 year old season in a pro league, regardless of where that pro league is, and be a guy who's leaned on in that pro league uh, speaks volumes about what your potential is. Uh, and so we saw him put up really good numbers uh, with Adler Mannheim in the DEL. We saw him be named Rookie of the Year there. And we also saw him that when he went back and played with Germany um, and his age group, be it at the World Juniors uh, under 18s before that, that he was very successful there as well. And so when I look at um, the entirety of his game, the work ethic, the skill, the production, those are things that say to me that this is maybe a slightly more polished player and someone that I think can get um, into LA's lineup maybe a little quicker than Byfield. And that's not to say that I don't like Quentin Byfield. I mean, how can you not like a 6'4", 215-pound centerman who's got amazing skating ability and skills and, you know, can shoot the puck and, and do a gazillion things? What I think about Quentin, though, is that I think even physically he's somewhat immature. So that's kind of scary to think of what his ceiling might be if he were to top out at, let's say, 6'5 or 6'6 and maybe 230 pounds. Absolutely scary to think of what kind of player he can become. Having said that, I think it's going to take him a little while to get there. And I think that if you're looking for a player, um, you know, that can get into your lineup right away, I don't know if Quentin Byfield plays in the National Hockey League as early as next year. For me personally, I'd like to see him go back. And if the World Juniors are played, be a real key piece for Canada on a World Junior team. Understand what it's like to, to put in the work to be a, a really excellent leader. Um, as a guy who's experienced it last year more at the back of the bus. So I would like to see that be part of his developmental path going forward. Now, having said all that, uh, we're in a situation with these players who are going to be selected in, in October that no players um, 
have been in before where they've had all of this time to be able to prepare to get ready for an NHL season uh, in a season that's likely to start two year, two months rather uh, after they're drafted or a month and a half after they're drafted. So I think uh, if I'm looking at Quinton Byfield and no doubt he's taken this, this COVID pandemic time in this off season really seriously, that maybe he surprises me and maybe he under undergoes some of that growth um, and is able to, to step right into the national hockey league right away. But if I'm looking at a slightly, in my opinion, more polished player, I have Stutzlo at this point ahead of Quinton Byfield. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Um, uh, personally, as a hockey fan, I, I have I have to agree with you on the uh, on the sense of Quinton Byfield not being NHL ready yet. To me, he made like like you said, he could absolutely have an have an incredible off season uh, and make those physical and possibly mental adjustments he needs to make um, in order to really have a possible really good World Juniors, like you said, if the World Juniors happen this year or maybe even next year, hopefully. Um, but yeah, Tim Stutzel, again, like you said, played in a played in a men's league at 18 and did absolutely very well for his age. So, um, so moving forward now, uh, you have Cole Perfetti going to Detroit fourth overall, which personally most likely will happen as many people in the hockey community have been saying Steve Eisenman really, really likes Cole Perfetti and the fact that Cole Perfetti has supposedly been working on his skating this offseason, which to me at least has probably been his most lacking in the fact that he has incredible offensive instincts putting up, in, putting up over 100 points with Saginaw. Um, so, you have, so, yeah, you have Cole Perfetti going fourth overall. And now here is a pretty interesting choice here. Jake Sanderson from the United States National Team Development Program going fifth to Ottawa. Um, talk to me a bit about that as they would be getting a more defensive defenseman instead of uh, the top offensive defenseman available in Jamie Drysdale, who could be a pretty good offensive pairing for a guy like Thomas Shabbat. Talk to me about that. Yeah, I, I really think that's the the perception out there right now that maybe Jake Sanderson is is more of a defensive player. But I think his second half of the season, and you know, and speaking to Seth Appert, the coach there, that he kind of uh, accepted Jake Sanderson did himself, uh, realizing that this is a team, uh, the under eighteen U.S. program team, that needed some more offense from the back end. So as his year progressed, he added that layer to his game, knowing that his team needed that from him. It wasn't the same type of team that last year had all kinds of firepower and, and wouldn't need that kind of offensive help from a defenseman. And I think his ability, A, to recognize that, B, to adjust to that role, and C, excel uh, in a role by providing offense, told me a lot more about that player because we had a very good idea that the defensive foundation was already part of his game. And so when I look at Jake Sanderson, a little bigger than Drysdale, they skate very similarly. I would say is um, Drysdale is a little more sleek, a little more polished in terms of his skating and puck handling ability. But I do think Jake provides more bite, more size, and some more um, – uh, battle-tested skills on the defensive side of the puck. So when I'm looking for that well-rounded guy, I can't help but think about the pairing that, that's in Columbus right now with Seth Jones and Zach Wierenski, where Jones is kind of that go-everywhere-do-everything guy. Zach Wierenski's the, the big-shot guy, but maybe you'd think of him uh, as a slightly uh, more aggressive defender. And so when I think about what the long-term looks for Ottawa, you are able to pair Thomas Shabbat, 
and put him with a guy like Jake Sanderson. And I think you have, uh, you know, the makeup of, of a really good one too and a top pairing uh, at the National Hockey League level. And that's not to say that Jamie Drysdale wouldn't fit that, bell, uh, fit that bill equally as well. I just think that with what Sanderson is able to bring on the defensive side, slightly more than what Drysdale is able to bring on the offensive side, I think that's a trade-off that, that uh, you know, looking at their coaching staff and knowing how DJ Smith works, that that's someone that he would probably just slightly prefer to have in his lineup. But you're not going to go wrong with either guy there. All right, uh, Sam, there's another player that has been regarded as one of the best goal scorers, if not the best goal scorer in the draft, Alexander Holtz from Gardens IF of the SHL. Uh, you have him going eighth to the Buffalo Sabres over a, another Swedish player who was expected to go third overall at the beginning of the year, but obviously has dropped. Uh, Lucas Raymond, why do you have Holtz over Raymond? Well, I just think that he fits the team. You know, I, I think when you're when you're looking at a ranking, I'd probably have Raymond as a higher ranked player uh, than than what Holtz is. And teams will always tell you, "Oh, well, we're going to take the the best player available," and that's not always necessarily the case. If I look at the Buffalo Sabers and their uh, inability to provide secondary scoring for years and years now. You know, after Eichel and Skinner, it really is a significant drop-off at that point. So I think he now becomes someone who can give you that element that's so coveted the National Hockey League. Um, but, you know, I've wrestled with this Lucas Raymond thing for a long time. I probably have him significantly lower than, than where everyone else has him. And who knows, by the time I continue my research and continue to do my work towards the October 9th and 10th draft, that that, that may very well change. So we're going to see how that goes. He's probably, even at nine, where I think I have Raymond right now, is, is probably a little bit too low. But then when I'm looking at how I think this draft is going to shake out, it just seems like it works that way for me. I think Rossi's a good fit in New Jersey. They would have had multiple looks from multiple people because of uh, the people in, in Jersey um, and the connection with the Ottawa 67s, whether it was you know Kevin Ball being acquired in a trade from Arizona, whether it's Mitch Holscher who was there, Graham Clark, so on and so forth. I think that's a really good fit. I look at Perfetti, probably higher than most people going to Detroit, but I think there's a really good connection there. I look at what Ottawa is going to do at three and five, and I can't see them taking two players from the same position. So you address the most coveted positions of forward and a defenseman. So it is interesting to, to think that once you kind of sit back and assess what, where a team is at and what it's doing, that sometimes how a player might be ranked might not necessarily be how that player is picked in the draft. And that's why, at least at this point, I have Raymond down low and, and Holtz kind of fitting and addressing an area that Buffalo really needs. Absolutely, absolutely. And to round out your top 10, you have Jack Quinn of the Ottawa 67s going to Winnipeg, which would absolutely be a great pick for them, getting another uh, another goal-scoring winger, which they could always use as as they have Patrick Laine, who's their top uh, their top goal scorer, essentially, beside uh, behind at least Mark Schleifley, who had an incredible year. Um, now, I think Thomas has the next question for you. Yeah. Yeah. Um... Obviously, it is very tough to tell a year ahead, but do you see any 2021 prospects from the CHL in particular having the potential to climb in the draft rankings as this very unique and one-of-a-kind season pans out? Zach Bolduc from Ramuski is a guy that really jumps out at me, a 30-goal scorer this year with the Oceanic, and I think a lot of people will look at him the same way they looked at Dawson Mercer going into this year, where he was surrounded by such good players, you know, Lafreniere and Pare, Zavgarodny, uh, Isaac Bellavo on the back end, that he was just the benefactor of all of those good players around him. And I think Bolduc is the type of guy that probably needs to work on his play away from the puck, 
his defensive play, but his uh, stick skills and shooting ability are, are really top-notched already. So he's a guy that I think, uh, under the tutelage of Serge Beausoleil and Ramuski, is going to have an opportunity to, to take a meteoric rise uh, this year in, um, in the draft because I think he's a kid who's going to recognize, having played with Lafreniere and so on, that um, – you know, he's going to have to shore up the other side of his game. So he's a guy that I'm going to be keeping a keen eye on. You know, it's going to be really interesting for the 03 born players, the late 02 born players um, for scouts to, to get a full book on these guys. Some of them, and a lot of them would have been scouted at the under 17s, which is usually kind of the, the first step in that. And then you think about the, the Helenka Gretzky tournament. Well, that's been canceled. Then you get into regular season play, the prospects game, um, you know, for the odd person that, that makes it at a young age to the world junior so on and so forth a lot of these events are going to be altered or impacted in a, in a way that we haven't seen and so the the older 2000 you know the the older book that they have on these 2003 born players is, is really going to come into play here so um you know getting back to to what it's what it's all about and, and thinking about a guy like bull duke is is a guy that i think can make a meteoric rise Moving forward, um, especially especially in the case of the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League, they announced recently that they're going to try and start the 2020-2021 season on October 1st, unlike the OHL, for example, which are planning to start on December 1st, two, two months after the, the Quebec League would start. As a hockey analyst, do you re- can you realistically see fans being able to attend any Canadian Hockey League games this season? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And I think it's a real catch 22 because I don't think the league can sustain financially without having fans. And so that's going to be the real challenge here. You know, is the government going to be able to subsidize any of that? I think the recent ruling that's that, you know, the government doesn't, didn't uh, want to support the Canadian football league is probably a good sign to the Canadian hockey league that you're not going to get government subsidies, at least not the level of what the CFL um, was was asking for. So that's going to be a major challenge. I think when I look at the Quebec League starting, I think there is some impetus by the Quebec government to, in ongoing talks with the league, to maybe subsidize um, teams that are playing in Quebec. I think the Maritimes has a pretty good handle on what's happening with the coronavirus. Um, and, and they may allow, you know, 10, 20, 30% capacity, which would be somewhat helpful. But, you know, any kind of prognostication about what's going to happen is, is really just kind of silly at this point because as we've found out this thing is is so fluid and, and it literally changes from day to day I mean you know you look at the new cases in Italy that were announced today and, and Italy's you know was a country that looked to be the first to go through the worst of it um, had settled down and now it looks like they're kind of getting back into the throes so I think anything with the pandemic is, is fluid. The October 1st date, I, I still believe, is a, is a fluid thing as much as it's been announced. Um, same, too, with the December 1st dates for both the Ontario Hockey League and the Western Hockey League. So more than anything, it's probably just one big old wait and see. So, Sam, uh, obviously there are some teams that are in tough financial situations like the Val and the QMJHL and the Swift Current Broncos and the Dub. Uh, due to the cancellation of the season and playoff hockey to draw fans in the stands, so do you believe the CHL will eventually be able to make up the money lost at potential fan absences? Yeah, that's going to be, that's, that's, that's the, going to be the challenge moving forward. I mean, are these teams going to be able to sustain? 
you know, that's a, it's a lot of lost, uh, lost revenues and it's expensive to run a junior hockey team, especially with all the programs and the support that they give their players these days. It's not just, Hey, you know, you got to pay your coaches and see on ice. It's the travel, it's the video coaching, it's the, um, you know, the skills coaching, the skating coaching, it's the off ice uh, mental coaching that most of these teams are providing for their players now and the costs really start to add up so I think it's going to be a major major challenge of course the small markets are, are more uh, volatile uh, than, than the bigger markets for the obvious reason that uh, you know in terms of fan capacity in terms of uh, their overall operating budgets aren't what some of the big markets are so that's going to be the huge challenge and, and a major question moving forward. As an OHL fan, I absolutely hope um, a, um, any struggling team, especially going especially going forward, if all three leagues are able to start play safely and properly, I hope they can absolutely uh, be be and do well financially for this upcoming season. Um, last question for you as we as we wrap it up here: uh, If you had any advice for an up and coming sports broadcaster, what advice would you give them? Uh, volunteer, work for free. Uh, and work in areas, uh, whether it's interning or volunteering, that may not necessarily be in your direct line of, of what you want your career to be. I think a lot of times, um, uh, you know, I think I wanted to be in baseball, and, and here I am 15 years in, in hockey. So it doesn't always work out the way you see it. And I think when those opportunities become available, let's say you're going to go and, and you want to be a broadcaster, but stats is the only thing that's open for volunteer work or analytics well you know if you're going to be a broadcaster at some point down the road you're going to have to have a basic understanding of what analytics are all about so what better way to do that than to volunteer or to intern in that regard um, and I think when it comes to tv if you want to be a play-by-play -play or a color announcer um, and those positions aren't available then maybe hosting or producing or working in other areas that you don't think necessarily are going to help you they're all going to help you and so I think um, you know, we live in a society today where everything is so immediate with the youth that oh, oftentimes they get blinded by what the straight line is going to provide for them. And oftentimes the straight line is very rarely the path traveled by any of us who get to, to where we want to be. So I think that's a real important thing. And I think the other thing is to be patient. Um, you know, again, we live in a, in a world where, where everything is filled so quickly and, you know, everything can be shown on, on multi multimedia and social media um, that sometimes it becomes difficult for people to be patient in, in appreciating what the path is all about. But in being patient, um, you know, uh, respecting um, and really living, uh, appreciating the journey and what it has to offer, I think is also a real, a real key point moving forward. So I'd say, you know, intern, volunteer, work for free, even if it's in areas where you don't think you're going to end up uh, with your career, I think all areas are really important. That's an absolutely great piece of advice. Sam, thank you so much for your time today. It truly was an honor to have you on and hopefully we can have, we can have another chat with you sometime soon. Okay. Alex Thomas. Thanks so much for having me guys. Thank you so much. Uh, again, absolutely honor thank you so much sir um please be sure to subscribe to our youtube channel follow us on spotify instagram for instagram live soundcloud and on behalf of myself and my colleague thomas zubris we hope you have a great day and we'll talk to you next time